0: in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Revelation, chapter 15. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney.
1: If you've been with us in our study in Revelation, you know what verse I'm about to go to. It's found where? Revelation, say it with me, Revelation chapter 1, verse 19. And I think it's on the screen for you. Why don't you read it with me? John is told to write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. (laughs) (laughs) Metatauta. <laughs> <laughs> Look, if y'all want to come up here and preach, come on. I could appreciate it today. But you're right. The Greek word for after this is metatauta. Very good. You've heard this before. Somewhere, yeah. And so many people believe will say that the book of Revelation is difficult. And I remember when I was first planning to teach the book of Revelation verse by verse, some people were like, wow, Revelation? Ooh, it's spooky. And ooh, Revelation is so unknowable and hard to understand. And When in fact, it really isn't difficult to understand at all. You see, Revelation chapter 1 verse 19 is what I like to call the divine outline or a simple summary statement of the entire book. The entire book of Revelation outlines in this in this one verse John is told to write the things which he has seen, write the things which are and the things which will take place after this. It's a three section simple outline. The first section John is told to write the things which he has seen. What has John seen? Chapter 1. John saw the resurrected glorified Jesus Christ. Jesus is risen Jesus is glorified there in chapter 1, the first section, which brings us to the second section. John is told to write the things which are, chapters 2 and chapter 3, the church age. That's the period that we are now living in, church history. Jesus gives John seven messages to seven churches given in chronological order. And then the third and the final section John is told to write the things which will take place after this. The Greek word, as we said, is metatauta, which brings us to chapter four. John is caught up in the heaven. You know, when he gets to heaven, he sees this awesome vision of the throne of God. And he sees colors and prisms and bright lights and lightning. And it's unbelievable the things that John is seeing. And then John saw Jesus as in chapter 5, Jesus stood and he took the title deed to the planet earth from the Father's hand, which brings us to chapter 6. 6 follows 5, always has, and always will. And so Chapter 6 through 19, we have the period of time known as the tribulation. It's seven years. Of tribulation, seven years of trial, seven years of cataclysmic and catastrophic events that are taking place upon the earth. Chapter 6 through 19, the Great Tribulation. It's a time when God is pouring out His wrath on a Christ rejecting sinful world. Now keep in mind, last week we looked at chapter 14. There in chapter 14, We saw, we fast forward. Remember, I told you, chapter 14 fast forwards to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Keep in mind that the rapture of the church and the second coming of Jesus are two different events in history. The rapture of the church is when Jesus comes for the saints. The second coming is when Jesus comes with the saints in the clouds. Amen? Amen. So there are two different events. Now chapter 14 fast forwards to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And last week we saw 144,000 sealed servants of God standing on Mount Zion in Jerusalem. And then we saw the first angel flying in the midst of heaven preaching the everlasting gospel. And then we saw a second angel proclaiming the fall of Babylon. Babylon is fallen, is fallen. And then we saw a third angel. There's a lot of angels in chapter 14. A third angel warned the people on the earth not to take the mark of the beast or they could not be saved. And then at the end of chapter 14, we saw Jesus reap the earth and the wheat and the tare were separated and God's wrath had begun. God's anger had begun there upon the earth. Now, there's an interesting verse of scripture. It's in Psalm 145, verse 8. And it says, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. Note this, slow to anger. The Lord is gracious, full of compassion, and slow to anger. Now, here's a principle of God's judgment. A principle of God's judgment God is in no hurry to judge the world. God's in no hurry. I mean, we think that God is in heaven and he's sitting as judge. And someday he's going to come down on our heads with the celestial gavel and judge the people. And as if God gets some glory or some joy out of judging people. Listen, God gets no glory out of judging people. And God is in no hurry to judge people. But there will come a time when judgment must come. And that time is found here in chapter 15 and chapter 16 of the book of Revelation. Now, there's a theologian by the name of Eugene Peterson. And he said this, and I I like this quote. He said, after centuries of patient waiting, of putting up with man's arrogance, greed, and murder, God finally puts a halt to the whole horrid business of sin. Surely after all these centuries, it is time to call the perpetrators on the carpet and wipe the condescending smiles off their faces with a once and for all judgment. That is true. Someday, God is going to judge sin. Someday... God is going to come. You know, all those people that you know who mock God, we all know them, who like to mock God and make fun of God and shake their fist at God and puff up their chest in arrogance toward God. Well, someday God is going to come. Jesus will come and wipe those condescending smiles right off their faces. Someday. You say, Rodney, you sound pretty pleased about that. Well, part of me is. I can tell him I'm right. I knew it. But God is going to come and judge. And it's a sad thing that people like to mock God, not knowing that God is going to judge. Now, chapter 15 is the shortest chapter in the book of Revelation. It only has eight verses. Do you know who the shortest man is in the Bible? Nehemiah, Nehemiah, get it? Chapter 15 only has eight verses, but I can stretch it out, you know that, right? (laughs) Chapter 15, beginning in verse one, if you are there, would you say a hearty amen? amen? And then I saw another sign in heaven. Great and marvelous. Would you underline that? Seven angels. In fact, let's read the whole chapter because it's only eight verses, so we'll read the whole chapter and we'll come back. Seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. Circle that. The wrath of God is complete. And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who have the victory over the beast. Over his image and over his mark. What's his mark? 666. Over the number of his name. Standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God. And they sing the song of Moses. Notice, they sing Casey Kasem's two top ten hits. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God. And notice, the song of the Lamb. Saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of Saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, for all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. And after these things, in verse 5, I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. And out of the temple came seven angels having the seven plagues clothed in pure, bright or white linen and having their chest girded with gold bands. And then one of the four living creatures, in verse seven, gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls or vials full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever And then in verse 8, I love verse 8, the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. Stop right there. Give me your attention. Notice chapter 15 is actually the preparation for the final series of judgments. Chapter 15 prepares us for chapter 16, the final series of judgments. Notice John sees a sign that is great and marvelous. And to show us how great and marvelous that sign is, there's only one other place in the New Testament that th- these three words are used together. We just read it in verse 3. Notice great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. You see, great and marvelous are used to describe the works of God. And notice John says, I saw another sign in heaven. What's the sign? John tells us that it's seven angels having the last seven plagues, and in them, the wrath of God, notice this, is complete. There's the operative word there. The wrath of God is finished or through or over or done. The wrath of God is complete. Now you might remember if you've been here with us during the tribulation, we pointed out, listen, during the tribulation, we have three sets or three series of seven judgments, Three series of seven judgments. And these judgments, they actually increase with intensity and frequency as you make your way through the book of Revelation. The first series are the seven seal judgments. We looked at that back in chapter six. Look that up in your own time. The seven seal judgments. The scroll was opened, the seal was broken, and each time a seal was opened, it released judgment upon the earth. And then the second set, or the second series, are the seven trumpet judgments. We found that in chapter 8. With the blast of each trumpet, the Lord is intervening. Things are happening, and the earth is affected. And now here in chapter 15 and chapter 16, we come to the most brutal and the most intense of all the judgments. The seven bowls, or in some of your Bibles it says vials, The seven vile judgments. And these are tougher and they're rougher than anything we have seen in chapter, in this book, in the book of Revelation. That's why here, I believe, in chapter 15, the Lord gives us this important perspective of heaven. Because in chapter 16, it's ugly, it's terrible. Their are plagues and judgments that are coming upon the earth. And so the Lord gives us this important perspective here in chapter 15, heaven. Now notice John sees seven angels and they have the seven last plagues for in them, the wrath of God is complete. The Greek word for wrath is thymos, T-H-Y-M-O-S, thymos. And it means passion. It means anger. The anger of God is complete. And that tells us something right there, just in the word wrath. It tells us that God is capable and someday will be angry. I like to read bumper stickers. I've read all yours on all your cars there. And I like to read bumper stickers. And I saw a bumper sticker a bit ago and you've probably seen it too. It says, smile, God loves you. And, you know, you can tell a lot about people from bumper stickers. I mean, I can tell a lot when I come to some of your houses and I can tell a lot about you from your bookshelves. You can tell a lot about people from the books they read. And so you come to someone's house, look at the bookshelf, you can tell pretty much, uh, you know, what they think and what they're about. And so when I come over the next time, don't replace all your books with all Bibles. Be like thirty-two Bibles in the on the bookshelf. It's like, hmm. Y'all really love Jesus in this house, don't you? And you can likewise tell a lot about a person from the bumper sticker. Well, I saw a bumper sticker that said, "Smile, God loves you," and and I think that's fine. Don't misunderstand me, but I do find it interesting that people love to think of the love of God, but people get confused and people can't contemplate another side of God. The fact is, God can be and someday will be an angry God. And there are a lot of people who can't contemplate that. They get confused. God is a loving God, but they can't understand that God is also an angry God. People get confused about that. Talking about confused, the story is told of John who lived in Chicago. And it was an especially brutal winter in Chicago. John owned a vacation home in Florida, and so he decided while his wife was away on business to escape the cold Chicago winter and have his wife meet him there in Florida. Well, the next day he emailed, and that emailed his wife to tell her that he made it safely, but he accidentally sent it to the wrong email address. And his message went to this old lady in Nebraska who was the wife of a pastor who had died that week. Well, she was shocked when she turned on her computer to check her email messages to read, my darling wife, I just wanted you to know that I arrived safely here, and I'm looking forward to you joining me tomorrow. (laughs) Sign your beloved husband. P.S. It's hot down here. The pastor went to hell. Hmm. People get confused. And they get confused about the fact that we serve a God of love, but there is another side to God. Psalm 7, verse 11, if you're taking notes, look this up in your own time. It says that God is angry with the wicked daily and yet God is patient with the wicked. Psalm 103, verse 8 through 10 tells us that the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in mercy. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. Lamentation, chapter 3, verse 22. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Amen. You see, God has been so long suffering with man and so patient and so loving to people. And people have sadly mistaken that patience and mistaken that love of God as approval of their sin or apathy or worse yet, impotence. People think that they can get away. We live in a culture where people mock sin. I mean, TV, sitcoms, movies, commercials. Hello? How do you make something sexual and immoral about a piece of chewing gum? What is up with people? I'm watching a commercial about Uncle Ben's rice. Leave Uncle Ben alone. What's the deal? But people mock sin and they laugh at sin and they laugh at immorality and they think that they're getting away with sin and they think just because God has not judged their sin that God is approving of their sin or that God is apathetic toward their sin or as I said, worse yet, that God is not powerful enough. He's impotent. He can do nothing about their sin. There's an interesting verse in Ecclesiastes, chapter 8, verse 11. It says, because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the hearts of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Isn't that interesting? In other words, people make the mistake that God's patience and God's long suffering is approval. Listen, God cares about sin. God is going to someday judge sin. God cares about the sin that is going on in our country right now. God cares that the pornography industry grossed hundred billion dollars in 2001. God cares that there are 350 known child pornography magazines. 350 known child pornography magazines? And then we wonder why we see in our culture this increase in in child abuse and and child neglect and kidnappings and brutal, horrible, unspeakable acts toward our children. We wonder why. God cares. God sees. And God knows. God cares that on any given day in this country, 1,115 abortions are performed. God cares that millions starve to death every year while harvested crops are destroyed and plowed down by evil governments. You know, God cares about sin. And God in his mercy, it is God's mercy, make no mistake, as his mercy has allowed men to get away with their sin this far. But one day, the Bible says, the wrath of God will be complete. One day. Hold your finger right here in Revelation and turn with me to Genesis chapter 15. I want to show you something. Genesis chapter 15. Turn quick. Let me hear your pages. Turn quick. (laughs) Genesis chapter 15. It's here in Genesis chapter 15 that God is speaking to Abraham. Notice in Genesis 15, verse 13, if you're there, say amen. amen. And then he said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them four hundred years. And also the nation whom they serve I will judge. Afterward they shall come out with great possessions, Now, as for you, Abraham, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. Notice God says to Abraham, Abraham, you're going to have a whole nation of descendants in a land that is not theirs. And 400 years, for 400 years, these people will be afflicted. They will be enslaved. And it's true, we all know the story. The Jewish people were in the land of Egypt, you know, for how long? 400 years. And they were enslaved and they were afflicted. And when they left the land, the Bible tells us that they took with them great possessions. They took treasures. They took food. They took gold. They took jewelry. And then after 400 years, notice in verse 16, But in the fourth generation, or the 400th year, They shall return here, for the iniquity, note this, of the Amorites is not yet complete. Notice that. The iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. You see, when they came out of Egypt, you know the story. God told them to destroy all the people who dwelt in the land of Canaan.